Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is a podcast where we explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Steve Hall, leadership expert and founder of Lead with Humanity. Welcome, Steve, to Win at Work and Life. Thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's so great to have you here. You and I have had a number of coffees. We've known each other for a number of years. You recently released a book called Another Set of Lenses, which I know is going down very, very well in the market. And it really underpins your thinking about the fact that how we think impacts on our behavior in the world. And you talk about um, six different sets of pictures Mm. that we all carry around with us. Can you unpack those for us? Yeah, thank you, Nikki. I think COVID certainly gave me this opportunity of some time. And so what I did was I started to take a lot of my writings and experiences over many years and try to formulate them into something marketable, something packageable, and maybe something memorable for for people. It's really founded on how we see the world and that our pictures or paradigms or perceptions, however we choose to measure these things, have a massive impact on our behavior. Uh, For too long, we've been focused so much on changing people's behavior without really thinking through what are the paradigms that cause the behavior in the first place. And so I try to narrow it down in very simple terms to six polarities or six pictures of the world. Neither is right or wrong, and a polarity is simply like breathing. You know, we've got to breathe in and we've got to breathe out. We never go away on a workshop to say, Well, today, guys, we're going to just breathe in today. We're going to learn how to breathe in. Uh, We've got to breathe out as well. We've got to manage our polarity, manage the balance between inhalation and exhalation. And that simply supports this thing called life. And when we talk about managing uh, the inhalation and the exhalation, there's a lot of self-awareness here, a commitment to becoming more aware of how we see the world and how it impacts on our behavior, which impact on our ability not just to lead others, and your specialty is leadership immersion, but how we lead ourselves mm. first, mm. correct? Absolutely, Nikki. Yeah, that, you know, it's such a key thing. Uh, along the journey is if we're not self-aware about how do I lead myself, and I've no doubt we'll talk about energy and all sorts of things today, but if I'm not aware of who I am, then how am I expected really to lead others through influence? Uh, If I don't know what triggers me, if I don't know which lenses I'm looking through, how do I help other people look through some different lenses? And so as an example, if I only see the world through the lens of that there is a single version of the truth, well, then I have to be right all the time because I have to own the truth. If there's only one answer, then I must own that answer and I must tell everybody that I've got the answer. Uh, Whereas maybe on the other side of the polarity, is that there are multiple versions of the truth. How in my team do I get the voices in the room so that we may in fact all be educated by a different view? They might have a different version of the truth of the customer or of the product or of the complaint that's coming through. And this is very much where the real meaning of diversity comes in. That we have diverse opinions, diverse versions of the truth diverse perceptions of the world Mm. and we need to be entertaining them all because they are versions of the truth 
Absolutely. Yeah. It just reminded me of, a, I think it was a quote by Alvin Toffler, uh, who said that the illiterate of today is not the people who can't read or write. It's the people who can't learn, unlearn and relearn. And if my version of the truth is mine and it's a single version, then I'm not open to learning and relearning and unlearning, which diversity is going to help us with mm-hmm. because there are multiple versions of the truth, the truth being uh, the reality of the time. So I'm going to digress from the six pictures at this point and we'll get back to them because the work you do of leadership immersions means taking people to a place of discomfort, of not knowing. Mm. Talk us through why it's necessary to do leadership immersions. Mm. Yeah, Nikki, it's been an extraordinary journey on the immersive side. It's um, We've all heard the acronym. I know Bruce Whitfield writes beautifully about it and says that if you hear the word VUCA, you know, leave the conference room because it's not new. <laughs> but VUCA really is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. We've all heard it. I think the addition I like to add in there is that it's an e-VUCA world now. It's exponentially volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And the nature of an immersion is that you get into something because it is there and it is volatile and it is somewhat uncertain. And the real question it's asking of us as leaders is, what do I do when I don't know what to do? Who knew what to do during COVID? Who knows exactly what to do during load shedding? There are multiple versions of the truth. And so when we go into immersions with our clients, it is really putting them into a position to say, let's learn about leadership. But maybe it's something we can't teach but it is something that can certainly be learned from others. Let's go and look at communities. Let's go and see women who are building their own houses and how the influence of that is creating community building. And another community a few yards away are sitting in the tavern, drinking beers, waiting for a government handout. What is the difference here? And when we are immersed in those communities, it is far better than just getting a file full of notes to say, well, this is what diversity inclusion means. Mm. It's about the real experience. In a experience. training room. In a training room. In a room. Cl- clinical yeah. training and room. And there's a place for yeah. training rooms. And yeah. I know I love a training room. And I've, so do I. <laughs> yeah, and I've loved a bit of the online work and, and the blend of this all. But a lot of the real turning points, the real moments of meaning, the significant times of people uh, is in the experience of something. It's meeting somebody new. It's seeing a new picture. It's seeing that there are 25-year-old women in Bombay, in Inanda, in Kwamashu that are leading their communities with no sense of title or no sense of authority. How do the pictures relate to the work you do at Constitution Hill? Because Uh, you do immersions there as well. mm, mm. Constitution Hill, Nikki, has become the most extraordinary place for me. And I think it was very personal. I grew up in in an old South Africa, which favored a certain set of pictures. It favored pictures that there was a single version of the truth. And it favored the picture of a slightly unfriendly world. And it certainly favored the picture that power and authority gets things done. As white males, we went off to the army because of these pictures. Constitution Hill reminds me that those pictures are very prevalent. However, it also reminds me that there is another way to see this world. There stands the new Constitution Court which is the symbol of freedom and democracy and justice and equality and diversity. And right there next to it uh, is number four jail, which was everything about inhumanity. And so the immersion there simply looks at 
let's look at both sets of lenses here. Let's see what were the outcomes when we only chose to look at one view and maybe the outcomes when we get exposed to a different set of lenses. And which particular, I mean, I'm sure you use all six pictures when you're going through Constitutional Hill, but is there, a, is, is there one that's more prevalent than the others in that particular immersion? It's amazing. It comes out often in the conversations and it sometimes comes out in the brief of why are we there. Let's focus on a, on a few things so that we can really customize the experience for our clients. Um, I think the one that seems to be overriding is this old question that I think it was Einstein who said the biggest decision we make in our life is do we see the world as friendly or unfriendly? And just that simple picture has a huge impact on our behavior. You know, if I see this interview with you as a friendly interview, then I um, come, I'm, I'm happy, we talk, we share ideas, we share contacts, we share opportunities, pictures. But if somebody walked into this interview room now and we saw them as somewhat unfriendly, our behavior would change immediately. And so it's constantly saying, well, are we seeing the situation as friendly or unfriendly? And, and let's be honest, they are both, right? Both are true. Yes, you were a little nervous before you came in I was in very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was very nervous before I came in today. But, you know, we take, and, and I know you've got amazing children, but, uh, you know, we talk to our children about, you know, is this world friendly or unfriendly? If I stay at the extreme of the world is unfriendly, what's the outcome going to be with Ryan? What's the outcome going to be with Hannah? The outcome is simply going to be, well, they will be hermits. They will never be allowed to drive a car. They will never be allowed to dress uh, beautifully, they will never be able to engage with anybody because the world is so unfriendly. If that's the lens, then the behaviors are predictable. Similarly, we as parents can't say, oh, don't worry, Ryan, don't worry, Hannah. You know, the world is so friendly. Wear what you like, drink whatever you like, come home whenever you want. There'll always be someone to tuck you in at, at night. Well, that's another extreme. How as parents do we find our balance along that polarity that, yes, sometimes the world is unfriendly. Sometimes drinks are spiked. And sometimes the world is incredibly friendly. You will find a friend when you most need them. Talking of finding a friend when you most need them, you have another polarity, which is the world is separate and disconnected, mm. or that it's infinitely connected. Talk us through that one. Yeah, again, look at the extremes. I mean, we can go into politics here, really, and say, you know, the, the viewpoint in America of the time a few years ago was that we are so totally separate from Mexico. So let's build a wall, right? Because that was the viewpoint of the then prime minister president. If that's the picture, we see ourselves as isolated. We see ourselves as, as disparate. We see ourselves as disconnected. And, and therefore, whatever happens in KwaZulu-Natal is of no consequence to us in Gauteng. We're okay. We're not, we're not, um, we don't have as many riots, maybe, or we don't have the, the floods that they've had. So that's their problem. Mm. Well, load shedding is a South African problem. We are infinitely connected because of a lack of energy supply. We are infinitely connected what happens to the RAND. We are infinitely connected because of the petrol price. We are and the shipping crisis that happened because of COVID. The shipping crisis has impacted absolutely. on everybody. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's actually been quite interesting. I think with COVID, it's been a learning moment. I think for the world to see how interconnected yeah. we all are. And what do we talk about? The butterfly, the butterfly the wings. Butterfly effect. Yes, the butterfly absolutely. effect. Tell yeah. us about the butterfly effect. 
Well, the simple theory there was that the flapping of a butterfly's wings over the Amazon jungle in America, in the South America could change the weather patterns of Detroit in, in North America. And it's all got to do with quantum theory and chaos theory and evolutionary biology and molecular biology. So it's quite complex. But the simple thought there is that a small action can have a profound impact further down the line. Uh, a small change in a voting system can make massive differences to the outcome. A small change in our personal lives can lead to huge outcomes. And that a flood is simply a small series of actions of called water droplets. <laughs> what happens when they multiply? Mm. What happens when one person acts with great integrity in the moment? It can have a butterfly effect, a multiplying effect across the whole world. So are you talking about the fact that everybody needs to take responsibility for how they show up in their corner of the world? Yeah, absolutely, Nikki. It, it's, you know, I think the old style of saying that my boss's job is to motivate me may be under threat now. <laughs> um, bosses have got lots of things to do. And yes, we can provide an extraordinary environment for motivation. We can really help when it comes to reward and recognition. And maybe we can put lovely AirPods and pods and lounges and lovely coffee machines. But it is our responsibility, I think. It is our responsibility to act in the moment, to act for what's good, to see life through that other set of lenses and say, I wonder if my action now might have recurring or repercussion events down the line. How does that relate to our own energy and taking responsibility for our own energy. You just mentioned the word motivation. Mm. People have looked externally for motivation for so long that they've mm. become dependent on external validation, mm. affirmation, and motivation. But the past two and a half years have woken people up to the fact that no one's coming to rescue you. Mm. And you actually have to take responsibility for picking yourself up when you're down and asking for help. So it's not about abdicating. It's about saying, help, I need support. I don't know this, or I'm feeling like this, therefore I need to ask for some mm. help. It's not about saying, fix me. Mm. It's about saying, how can I fix myself? Mm. How can I charge my own human energy battery mm. so that I show up motivated, committed, productive, and engaged? Mm. You do a lot of work around this human energy battery. What uh, are you doing with your audiences? Yeah. How are you leading them to take responsibility for their own human energy battery? Yeah, it's, it's been, again, a, a fascinating journey. And I think in very simple terms, which we always hope is on the other side of complexity, uh, is the question we ask uh, around the analogy of a motor car. Um, you know, take a easy price these days in Johannesburg, sadly, for a motor car, as well over a a million rand, but it could be half a million, it could be 300,000, it might be a 3 million rand motor car. Put your own price tag onto your dream car. And, and we get a lot of our thinking through our delegates to say, well, let's dream about that for a moment. What would be our dream motor car? And it's, uh, you know, it's creative and it's innovative. And, and then the question really becomes, so what happens if I've left my headlights on overnight? Or if I've got a child who's played with the dashboard and I haven't checked the car in the next morning. Or the curiosity of my kids has pushed all the hazard lights and the windscreen wipers and the onboard computer and the sound system is still going. Well, of course, the battery's flat. And the battery 
I can tell you it does cost about 1500 bucks because I replaced one the other day. <laughs> um, but And I don't drive a million rands worth of motor car, but it, its simple analogy is that if the battery's flat, the car doesn't go. The battery's only worth 1500 rand in the context of a million rand. It's 0.0015, right? But how important is the battery? And then we look at that in human terms and say, you know, we can have degrees and diplomas and we can have extraordinary products to sell and 30 years of business experience and networks. But if I wake up in the morning and my battery's flat, then my car doesn't go. It stays in the garage. And so we can put in a beautiful new steering column and Bose sound systems and heated leather seats, but all of them are useless until we've got a charge in the battery. And I think your point earlier is that if I rely on somebody else to keep charging my battery, then, then you know, I'm never really going to progress that, that far. I'm going to be on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come with jumper cables. Thumbing a lift. Thumbing a lift. And my skateboard is more useful to me than my million rand motor car because the skateboard at least will get me somewhere. But the million rand motor car stays on the side of the road until somebody friendly comes along or the AA and they charge our batteries for us. It's that question of, so why are we waiting for the AA? Why are we waiting for somebody else? Can we not work on this as a collective as to how do we charge our batteries together? So we have another polarity, which is that the world is a finite or an infinite place, mm. which speaks to the way we think, mm. our generosity of, mm. of thinking. Um, so how does that how does that play out? And I know you talk about the chess masters of what is it? Bam hai. Bambai. Yes. Bambai. Oh, Bambai. Yes, yes, my eyes are yeah. deceiving me here. Yeah, Nikki, again, it's a it's a viewpoint. And again, both sides of the polarity are true, right? As is breathing, exhalation, and inhalation. They're both true, they're both necessary. So sometimes the world is finite, right? The world is finite. There is certain amount of gold under the ground. There's not an infinite amount of gold. Uh, let's look at the quality of time. Our time in this interview is finite. As much as I'd like to chat for another hour or two, we've got a finite amount of time. Our time on this planet is finite. And, and, and so that, that is a true viewpoint. But there are also some things that are infinite, like love. How do you measure love? If you, if you have one child and then you have a second child, do you divide love into two? <laughs> you know, is it a measurable, finite quality that you say, oh, sorry, uh, Hannah, I can only now love you 50% because Jonathan's arrived, and so I need to also love him 50%. It's an infinite, infinite yeah. quality. Actually, I have a lovely story to add to that. When um, we got our second puppy before we had children, I remember, you know, we were so in love with the first one. And saying to the puppy socialization um, coach, how are we going to love another one? And she said, love is elastic. How beautiful. Isn't yeah. that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we had our first child, of course, you know exactly as you're saying, so much love for this child. And then you have your second one. And you also go, how are we going to fit this one in? Yeah. And I had to remind myself of that line, love yeah. is elastic. elastic. It's and a beautiful, it's so beautiful. I wish I'd had that for my book, Nikki. <laughs> Next book, <laughs> version, yeah, two. version two. Version <laughs> two. Volume two. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's so true. And the, and the interesting thing about us as humans sometimes is that we treat the infinite things sometimes as though they're finite. Mm. The infinite things of love and wisdom and, and knowledge and grace and gratitude, we say, well, I will only be grateful if... And so we place a finite quality around the infinite value of love. Well, I will only love you if. Uh, we'll only share this information with you if. And yet we treat some of the things that are finite 
as though they are infinite. Mm-hmm. Our time and other people's time. And I'll watch Jonathan's cricket match next week. Or I'll just use more time of my colleagues and my co-workers because you know, time is infinite and it's not. And of course, the big question there is our planet. Is it infinite or is it finite? And it seems as though we're treating a finite thing as though it was infinite, as though it would last forever. And I think we're seeing some of the repercussions of that action now. Absolutely. And what about being superior to other people, thinking that you are better than others? You've got a Mm. set of pictures for that. Yes, indeed. Again, I certainly grew up in a country that favoured a picture of whether we were superior or inferior. Uh, And the whole system was built around that particular paradigm, that there are some people who are better than others. Uh, And again, there are parts of that polarity that are true. As uh, in 2019, South Africa was a better rugby playing nation than anybody else. And so we won the Rugby World Cup. It was true that we were superior as a rugby team in a framed point of view. If you win the gold medal and the comrades runners who've just run an extraordinary race recently, there is a winner and there are people that don't win. And so, yes, you get a superior runner or a superior uh, chef. I'm very lucky I'm a superior eater. Um, but you do get the, you know, you get the idea. But is that true in every field of life? Does it make us better than or worse than? And the other side of the polarity is maybe we are just unique human beings. And when I see through that picture, then I can learn from you all the time. Then, I, then I'm never going to say, well, I'm, I'm better than you at this, therefore I'm a better person. You remind me of a story <laughs> that I heard on Friday when I was facilitating a session for one of the banks when the leader of this team was actually talking to specific people and talking about what he has learned from them as the leader. And to your point about the Comrades Marathon, he was talking about one of his team members who ran the Comrades Marathon. And he said it was, that I don't know which year it was when, when he was watching, but he said, I was watching the race on TV. I was tracking you on the app And at 50 kilometers, I was on my knees praying for you because I wanted you to succeed. And he said, what I learned from you about perseverance, what I learned from you about getting the job done, what I learned from you about preparation for the job. Mm -hmm. He just was so open as a leader to the learning through the example of one of his team members and the generosity with which he shared the story actually gave us all goosebumps because this guy did not realize the impact that he had had on his leader until that moment when the story was shared. So we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. I mean, what a great story. I mean, that really should be shared uh, as a story of uh, huge humanity. I mean, imagine the energy that that particular person is feeling, knowing that they've really taught their boss something, their leader, something. And leadership is always a two-way thing. What are we learning from each other? And also to your point about the fact that you do this immersive leadership work where you take people out of their comfort zones and you put them in places they've never been to before and expose them to scenarios they've never been exposed to before, um, is that we need to gather the stories within our teams, the diverse stories and experiences in our teams and expose them, give them the light of day, because everyone's got a story, haven't they? Mm, absolutely, yeah. And I, I don't remember who said it, but uh, and I'm sure it's been said by many people that the shortest distance between two people is a story. 
Uh, the, the minute I get to know your story and you get to know my story, we reduce complexities. We reduce the picture that some of us are better than others. Mm. We learn about the challenges that other people have been through and that continue to go through. Mm. And the minute I've got that and I've got that curiosity, surely then we become closer together. Surely it means that we can, in fact, work more cooperatively together and, in fact, celebrate mm. the fact that each of us comes from a very different place. Mm. You, you were talking about marathon running and you will remember there was that wonderful story recently about um, a marathon happening in Spain. The winner crossed, just didn't cross the line because he got confused with the signage. He was from Kenya, his name was Abel Mutai, and, and he thought he had won and he stopped. And the second place athlete had this opportunity to come past him and to take the gold medal. And he stopped, his name was Ivan Anaya from Spain, and he took him slowly over the finish line and pushed him forward to get his gold mm. medal. And afterwards, the press asked him, why did he do that? Mm. You know, he could have got the gold medal. He said, well, firstly, what would the value of the medal be? Secondly, would I really have felt good about the win? And thirdly, and critically, he says, what would my mother have thought of that? And I thought, you know, right there is a lesson on ethics, uh, that we are not better than or worse than. We are just unique human beings, but we've got this opportunity to show up. Mm. It's a beautiful story. And... We've got one set of pictures that we haven't discussed, which is about power and authority versus mm. energy and influence. And that story you've just shared about, you know, winning the race was actually taking charge of personal influence mm. uh, versus authority because that runner had every right to win that race, mm. uh, you know, versus the guy who was the front runner. He yeah. could have said, you know, according to the rules, absolutely, I win the race. Yeah. But he actually flipped it around and 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 stepped mm. into personal power and personal influence yeah. in that yeah. situation, which is a little bit of a twist on what you really mean here about power and authority versus uh, energy and influence. Mm. So mm. many uh, people use their positional power at work mm. to get things done, but it's quite tiring. Yes, yes, it is, and it's expensive, Nikki. You know, it's expensive in terms of our, our own energy, our own battery. If I've constantly got to play power over people manipulation, coercion. Uh, it's an expensive process. It really is draining on our batteries. As in playing power games. Go, yes. So power, power yeah. over, and, and that's control, isn't it? Indeed, indeed, yeah. Control, command, hierarchy, top-down, autocratic viewpoints of the world are true, and they can get things done. You know, the simple example when we're flying back home at the end of this week, and your pilot comes onto the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, we are going into an emergency landing. You will do A, B, and C. It's power-based in that he can use the power and authority invested in him or her at the time. It has a place. It, it has absolutely a Absolutely, it has a place. And if you've got a child who's playing on the road and there's a vehicle coming, you use your immediate power and authority to get the child off. It's not a debate. It's not a discussion. It's not let me influence the it's child. It's not a negotiation. It's not a negotiation. <laughs> there are times absolutely yes. when there is danger, when it's there required. is crisis. It is required and it can work and it can be incredibly useful at times. I wonder though if some of us don't overplay it all the time and, and particularly if I reflect on my role as a father, do I use that positional power too much to say, well, I'm your father? you better listen, or it's rule number 33, or whatever it might be. And, and so how then do we step into this extraordinary place of personal power or influence and energy that maybe I can influence the situation or the person not because of my positional power, but because of who I'm being in the moment. 
the wonderful example is always in a retail store. You know, it's often the cashier who influences your energy, your customer satisfaction, your energy to go back to that particular store. They leave you with a good taste or a bad taste or a in bad your mouth. Taste. Absolutely. It's called the recency effect. So at the, the end of a transaction, it's the recency effect. The last moment of that transaction will often determine whether you go back or not. And I think people don't realize that every job in the chain of jobs of a transaction is important. Mm. From the person who makes sure that there are light bulbs so that you can see the merchandise, to mm. the person who does the buying, mm. to the person who actually does the, the, the till. And so often there are invisible people mm. out there who count. Mm. They really count. And we need to see them more. But these pictures that you talk about determine whether we will actually see them or not. Yeah, exactly. And do we take that moment to just acknowledge that there is somebody unique here behind the cashier or behind the gardener or behind the waiter or the caddy or the receptionist? Because they've got powerful stories to tell and they make up the culture of that business. We uh, Just a great anecdote that happened a few days ago, actually, a client of ours runs hotels in the Middle East and in the Indian Oceans. And the gardener, his job is to look after the garden and then the old rules and that was his job and that's where he stuck and, and, and he notices a child running down the slopes. And he knows very quickly that the child's head is going to move quicker than its legs and it's going to fall down the slope. And of course he anticipates that the child falls and who's there to catch him but the gardener. And the gardener takes him straight away to go and have an ice cream, straight away to the clinic to go and put a plaster on his knee. And 30 minutes later, the child is happy, smiling, with an ice cream, with a plaster. And the mum at the resort had no idea. Now, in the old day, the gardener wouldn't have been able to do anything like that. We would have had to phone HR. We would have had to phone the clinic. We would have had... But he took personal control of the situation. He used his personal power, his personal energy to influence the situation differently. And who had a great time? The mum and dad. They didn't even know. Who had a great time? The child. Had a wonderful time because he had a new friend in the gardener. Mm. Who had a wonderful time? The gardener. Because he realises he's contributing to the guest experience. Not just because he's making a beautiful garden. That's his job. But his humanity is that he's able to help to influence others to enjoy their holiday. He's making the world a better place. Indeed. Steve, what struck me most about this conversation is that our paradigms cause our behavior and that we need to shift the way we view the world. And you've written this amazing book called Another Set of Lenses, which helps people to lead themselves and lead others better. And that we need to take responsibility for our human battery, our human mm. energy battery, because nobody can do that human homework for you. And I wrote down one line here, which uh, really um, came to me as you were speaking, is that we can either choose to be the driver of our own lives and our own human energy battery, or we will be hitchhiking and thumbing a lift for the rest of our lives. And I think you've made us really aware of that. Where can people get hold of another set of lenses? Well, um, it's certainly available on Amazon and, and Kindle as a, as a digital read. Um, I believe that it's available at Exclusive Books online uh, and can be ordered through Exclusive Books. 
uh, but particularly online. And then otherwise, it's uh, through through my garage at the moment, Nikki. I've, <laughs> I've got boxes and boxes of these books that uh, are waiting to be shipped and um, and to various clients. So fabulous! And if they want to get hold of you to speak, it's at stevehall.coza. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. And I want to ask you for one final, final piece of advice to help our listeners to win at both work and life. I know you have that one liner that you love to use. Yeah, I think, again, it just stops me in my tracks to ask that question on a regular basis. Um, why is anyone the richer for even 30 seconds spent with me? What have I given? Um, that leadership really is, and personal leadership and personal power is a and energy is really about what are we giving? Not just what am I getting from my engine, but what am I giving back? Am I giving back some feedback? Am I giving back love and support? Am I giving back compassion? Am I giving back understanding? Um, what am I giving back? So why is anyone the richer for even 30 seconds spent with me? Have I asked them their name? And once you ask someone their name in this country, there are infinite amounts of stories that come through the meaning of the name. If I ask them how they are, really, not just walk past reception, but why is anyone the richer for even 30 seconds spent with me? What a great way to end this interview. What a great question to ask yourself at the end of every single day. Steve Hall, thank you so much for joining us. And to our audience, I hope you've been inspired today and that you will go and visit Steve at stevehall.coza. And I hope that you are going to share this podcast interview with your friends and family and colleagues so that they can win at work and life too.